Ukraine has liberated Kherson, the biggest city occupied by the Russians since February 24th and the only regional capital the Russians had captured. This is the third major defeat of the Russian army since its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. You are listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, a Ukrainian scholar and journalist, head of international department at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We devote the majority of your donations to help Ukrainian defenders and people affected by this war. Patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So, Tanya, let's start discussing this major news, which is the liberation of Kherson by the Ukrainian army. This happened yesterday. We saw these fantastic pictures and videos of the Ukrainian army in Kherson and people, the Ukrainian civilians, greeting greeting the Ukrainian army with, with real joy. So why this event is important? Well, indeed, yesterday was an extremely emotionally intense day for millions of Ukrainians. It happened much more quickly than we expected because we knew that uh, a couple of days ago, there was an official announcement coming from Surovikin and from Shoigu stating that they will leave Kherson, but we were reticent saying that maybe they will. it will take days or maybe even weeks for Russians to, to quit the city and for Ukrainians to come. And yesterday, I guess millions of Ukrainians spent their day literally crying when watching these videos of Ukrainian soldiers entering a couple of villages, first of all, uh, and then uh, the city itself. And it was extremely important for, 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 for all of us to, to see, to observe how, Uk- how Ukrainians, million, uh, thousands of them, survived this uh, very long occupation, eight months of occupation. And then, so uh, it looked like uh, a big part of Ukrainian territory comes back home and uh, real joy, real tears, but at the same time, um, we realize the price Ukrainian troops, Ukrainian soldiers paid for this victory. And we also realize that civilians, uh, a big number of them, tortured, killed in this occupied territory, they are finally free. And at the same time, difficult to accept, but we understand that nothing is finished for Kherson itself because Russian troops are quite close to the city. They are just on the other bank of, of river Dnipro and they they will be able to shell the city, unfortunately, and a big part of the region is still to be liberated. But nevertheless, it, it's about a big, another, the third already big victory of the Ukrainian army. And uh, uh, now we can talk about that uh, Russian troops and Russian army controls only the left bank of uh, Dnipro and the left bank, bank of the Ukraine itself. So from the military point of view, it's also important. We are talking about the third major defeat of the Russian army. Uh, by the first major defeat, we mean uh, when Russians fled uh, the occupied territories in the center and north of Ukraine. Uh, it was around Kiev, the capital. It was around Chernihiv, 
a city in the northern Ukraine. It was around Sume, uh, a city in uh, northern eastern parts of the of, of the Ukrainian territory. It was in late March, early April, and at that at that time, what what surprised us that actually Russians have fled these territories without any fights, without big fights. They just fled in one two days, uh, and. Um, this appeared to be a pattern in this war. So well, so uh, the second major defeat was in September when Russians fled from the Kharkiv region. Uh, it was also a kind of a brilliant Ukrainian operation. And now it seems, well, we, we have all expected that Russians will be defeat, uh, uh, defending Kherson. They will be churning Kherson into kind of a fortress. Uh, we were preparing for street fights. Nothing of it has happened. Russians fled again. I would I would be cautious with these definitions of Russian Russians fleeing the territories without fighting. I think that in from the military point of view, this is not because they don't want to fight, but because the Ukrainian troops created all conditions for them for this fight to be ineffective. What happened in Kiev region? I do remember in the late March there was they were semi encircled at that very moment in Bucha in northern localities close to Kiev, and they had. Uh, all their the logistics disrupted by Ukrainian fire. And uh, from the military point of view, they had no possibility to advance. So that's why they fled. What happened in Kharkiv? It was the same situation, a brilliant counteroffensive, really quick one, which led no possibility for them to, to fight back. And what was happening in Kherson? Let's look back. The first attack against Antonyev Bridge happened in the 19th of July. So uh, we can situate the, the beginning of this operation uh, a couple of months ago already. And then uh, let's come back once again and we'll see that in August, in late August, there was an official, an official announcement and official moves of Ukrainian troops in the Kherson region. So uh, we have September and then October and then we are in the mid-November already. So two months and a half uh, and between this, we, we had this brilliant Kharkiv operation. So I would not say that Russians just fled without fighting. They were trying their best to keep uh, this right bank of, uh, of Dnipro River and Kherson itself for a couple of months. And what Ukrainians were doing, and we discussed that many times, they were trying to, to disrupt these logistics, namely bridges, uh, damaging bridges and damaging all possibility, all ways of logistics for, for Russian army and leading them to, the, to, to escape, leading them to this possibility to escape. And uh, with time fleeing, with each day more more um, damaged uh, damaged logistics and damaged bridges russians literally had no possibility to stay there the problem is that last week we were thinking that russian troops will be still fighting inside the city and it was a kind of dangerous possibility because we understand that uh, kherson is a bigger, big city, really big, 300,000 people living inside, at least. So it's a big city. It's, you cannot compare that to Severodonetsk or to Lysychansk or to, uh, to any other, or to Liman or Izum, these localities in Kharkiv region, which were liberated recently. So this is about major city. And imagine uh, combats inside such a big city could last for months, even, even for years. But Russians understood that they will be losing this battle. It's, uh, also, so that's why they took this decision. They were 
it, it's not about the goodwill. This is not about the absence of courage of Russian troops. I think this is about the, the, the mathematics of war. They understood that there is no way for them to win this battle and that Ukrainian troops left no possibility for them to control the territory. And we can only greet intelligence of Ukrainian troops and commander, uh, I guess commanders as well, who calculated the impossibility for Russians to stay inside the city from the military point of view. Um, and I was very happy yesterday because city is uh, not destroyed. So Ukrainian army once again showed how an army could liberate territories and even big cities without destroying them, without its frontal attack. And this is not because Russians are so good or so human and they left city without fighting. This is because Ukrainian troops created such military conditions that there was no possibility for them to fight back and to defend the city. So, but I, I, I really fear that in the coming days or even weeks or maybe even months, we don't know exactly. Russians still have the possibility to shell Kherson, and they did. Look, uh, Mykolaiv was never, never occupied, or Nikopol, uh, just in front of Energodar and the Zaporizhia nuclear plant, was never occupied by Russians. But look what's happening inside these cities. They are heavily shelled. There are a lot of destructions, a lot of civilians uh, who just perished in this combat. And the same scenario could happen in Kherson. And Kherson will be now, starting from now, as Kharkiv force from during months. It will be a city close to a front line. And this front line is exactly the river Dnieper, which separates Russian troops from Ukrainian troops. And nothing can, can, um, so, and, and Russians will still have the possibility to ruin the city. And that's the major problem. Exactly. I, I, I will agree with you. And we see the situation in, in Mykolaiv, which is close to Kherson. And uh, the, the day when Ukrainians liberated Kherson, there was a huge uh, attack, <clears throat> artillery or missile attack on Mykolaiv, uh, again against uh, residential areas, residential buildings. Several people have died. Um, so I, I would agree with you that probably Kherson will, will be one of these frontline cities in which it is difficult. It will be difficult to leave, but uh, uh, but uh, as the situation in Kharkiv or in Mykolaiv shows, people still uh, still are still there, and 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 are coming back and uh, and living there. But uh, of course, the Ukrainian army created conditions which are very difficult for Russians to fight. But at the same time, we can compare Kherson with Mariupol. Mariupol, Ukraine in Mariupol, Ukrainian army was also in conditions impossible to fight. They were encircled, uh, and for months there was a resistance. So that means that, uh, and, and only after the very long process, uh, when when the army was in, when the, the small units of the army were in, encircled inside Azovstal, the the major uh, steel plant in Mariupol. Uh, only after heavy fights, only after shortage of, of any resources, there was no possibility to, to bring there any resources. Well, there was uh, an agreement that, that there will be uh, imprisonment of these fighters. Nothing, nothing happened uh, in Houston like this. So that means that Russians understand that Russian soldiers have no morale to, to keep fighting in such harsh circumstances. They don't understand why they should fight. 
And I think that another motivation of the Russian army was to save the equipment and save uh, the personnel, not to repeat the story of uh, Kharkiv uh, region, not to repeat the story of, of Kiev, uh, attack on Kiev. And um, maybe they started thinking about the personnel. This is something that they never did before. Maybe they started understanding that all these 300,000 mobilized people is not probably making the army stronger because they are unprepared, unmotivated, etc., etc. Let's talk about the kind of a political implications of this. Russians still consider Kherson as their city. And uh, Mr. Peskov, uh, Putin's uh, press officer, said that according to the Russian legislation, according to the Russian constitution, Kherson is a part of Russia. Uh, as... Uh, as we understand, many other territories with, with Russia even didn't control, such as cities of Zaporizhia. So Russians are now, for them, the rhetoric is that Ukraine occupied Russian territories. And uh, what they will do with this? Yes, indeed. From a political perspective, this is uh, quite interesting. Just as uh, one small remark uh, regarding the, your comparison with Mariupol and Kherson. Yes, indeed, Ukrainians, Azov and others were defending uh, Mariupol until the last, the very last possible day. Yes, that's indeed. And the difference why Kherson was not defended by Russians is that, first of all, first factor that for Ukrainians, it was quite clear they were defending their territory. And we can speak a lot, talk a lot about the morale of Russian soldiers, which uh, don't really understand why they, sh why they should die inside Kherson, inside this, uh, on this right bank, when there is a possibility to escape. You could not escape from Mariupol because there is no bank, so there is quite a, just a sea. And another important reason, let's look back and see that in Mariupol, Troops inside Azovstal were quite aware of the fact that they were saving lives of another Ukrainian soldiers on the front line because the time Russians were busy with Mariupol, Ukrainian troops used to reinforce their lines in Donetsk region and then in, uh, try to stop Russians in Lugansk. That was their mission. Their mission was not only to defend the city, but also to keep Russians busy and to let Ukrainian army to, to, to provide them time to reinforce themselves. And this is what their mission recognized by President Zelensky, by Zaluzhny many times officially. So this was a, a military uh, calculation to do so, military reasons to defend Mariupol, not only to keep the city, but to let the time for other troops. Uh, for Russians, the situation is different because uh, they they were running a real risk of this, the destruction of these troops and people's experts say that these are maybe the best troops um, of the Ukrainian army who are still in, in, in Kherson. And if these troops will be destructed or just killed, it will mean that Russian army will become weaker. Weaker because they, yes, they have a lot of mobilized, uh, newly, freshly mobilized soldiers, but they will be unable to proceed. So this resistance in Kherson was making Russian army weaker, not stronger. So contrary to what was happening with the Ukrainian army in Mariupol. So this is also reason. Coming back to, to what you ask about the political implications. Yes, indeed, this is an extremely humiliating situation for Russia because one month and a half ago, Russia recognized these territories and Kherson itself as being a Russian 
territory. And we do remember all these uh, inscriptions inside the city of Kherson stating that Russia is here forever. And this forever, it lasted only for one month and a half. And yes, indeed, for them, this is a major loss. And uh, on a level of rhetoric, they will still claim that Kherson is theirs. And what I fear most is that now uh, they will use Kherson in the objective of their inner Russian propaganda for their population. They will show the pictures of this peaceful and not destructed Kherson under Russian occupation for eight months. Let us admit that Kherson was, is not destroyed at all. So it was taken without real combat back in March, late February and March. And then they... If they shall, and I'm almost sure, I'm not a military expert, but I, I, I'm, I fear that they will shell the city and then they will show these images to their population and say, look what Ukrainians do to the city. And now they will accuse Ukrainian troops of being Nazis, of being of persecuting uh, civilians, this, uh, of all this major destruction, of what they were already doing in Nikopol. Look, so they, they were doing that for months already in Nikopol. So they will try to present that as, look, under Ukrainian rule, our Russian people in Kherson, they are persecuted, they are bombed, they are shelled, they are killed, etc., etc. And they will do that in the aim to, to galvanize uh, Russian population, to, to make them believe in all this myth and to, to motivate them to participate in the war and to support this war. I think that, uh, well, this, this will not be efficient for the, for the Russian society. Uh, what can be efficient is that they will really <clears throat> build a defense line in the southern Ukraine to protect the Crimea, to protect the uh, Crimean channel. And uh, here the situation can be much more difficult for the Ukrainians as with earlier occupied territories in Donetsk and Luhansk because uh, with the newly occupied territories, of course, people in Kherson, well, except for some collaborators and Russian sympathizers, uh, do not want to be with Russia. Um, the story of Crimea, Donetsk and Luhansk, who are with Russia for eight months, uh, I think it will be psychologically, mentally much more, much more difficult. And I think that many people in occupied Donetsk and Luhansk regions do perceive Ukraine and Ukrainian army as an enemy because... For eight months, for eight years already, they were fighting against Ukraine, against Ukrainian army, with with casualties, with losses of lives, including the lives of civilians. So, uh, when Ukrainians are talking about deoccupying all the territories and going to the uh, borders of 1991, this is of course in the minds of Ukrainians something that was unthinkable probably one year ago, because. There was no, contrary to all this Russian propaganda, there was no real discussion in the Ukrainian society that we should take militarily Crimea and Donetsk and Luhansk back. There was no real discussion, except for some probably in some circles in the military, etc. Now there is a consensus, I think, in the Ukrainian society that we are able to retake these territories militarily back. But I think that retaking Crimea, retaking Donetsk and Luhansk will be a much more difficult task, actually. And maybe Russians will be focusing right now on this. They will say, okay, Ukrainians have occupied our territories, Zaporizhia, Kherson, etc., but we will concentrate on defending what we have. So, of course, nothing is over. Uh, the next issue is 
it is often also discussed that Russians have exploded the bridges over Dnipro River. Ukrainians started to damage this bridge, Antonivsky Bridge, uh, and both the road bridge and the railway bridge, just to show to the Russians that they will not be able to ensure logistic supplies to, the, to its army. And maybe it was one of these arguments that pushed Russians from Kherson right now. But now Russians destroyed the Antonivsky Bridge uh, completely, well, one of the one of the parts. So it will be impossible for the Ukrainians to cross the river on these bridges. Uh, the question is how we will get to the left bank. Uh, basically, Ukrainians are on the left bank because the Dnipro River is not straight, and they are, we are, of course, on the left bank of the Dnipro River, much, 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 too much to the north and to the east. But whether it will be possible to go from that way um, to, to from parts of the Parisia, Dnipropetrovsk regions to uh, to uh, actually uh, to maybe encircle the Russians in the southern Ukraine. That will be probably one of the key uh, issues, key questions of the near future. Yes, indeed. We, we, we don't know the plans of our commander. But uh, yes, this would be logical for Ukrainians not to cross the Dnipro River in Kherson, but to do it uh, differently. We are not uh, military experts, but there are some, some logics in what's happening. And maybe the first step for Ukrainians would be to cut the Russian group, Russian troops, into two separate parts. Somewhere trying to get to the coast of the Black Sea, somewhere in the Zaporizhia region. And then to cut this, uh, this uh, what they call a corridor to Crimea into two parts, and then try to 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 destroy these uh, Russian Russian troops separately. We'll see how it goes. We we don't have any kind of information, and that's good news. We don't have this information. I would also attract attention to one important fact: what Russian did before leaving Kherson. What they did just in uh, two days before leaving, the last day they, before they left. They exploded several important things. They exploded electricity installations. They ex- exploded several things which uh, assure the uh, running water in the city and the heating systems. And this is important for civilians because we know that uh, in Kherson, uh, r- roughly half of population left the city from the very beginning. So a big city, uh, half of them left the city. Some some of them are in, in Ukraine, some of them left abroad, but uh, people were surely waiting for liberating of their native city. And now we are uh, in November and the winter is coming. And I guess for, 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 for these people, it will be it will be impossible to come back quickly because you cannot return to a city without electricity, without heating and without running water. And Russians also exploded uh, television tower just uh, a couple of hours before they left. So it will, it will um, demand... A, kind of investment, kind of repairment for, for, for some time. And it, it will once again create out of Kherson not a liberated city like we, we observed, for example, in, uh, in Kyiv region in, back in March, but it, it's still a risky city, a risky place for people to uh, return. Yeah, and <clears throat> Russians are showing that they're a truly terrorist state that they are um, uh, damaging the civilian infrastructure everywhere, 
by rockets, by missiles, by drones in Kyiv or other cities, and by exploding the facilities in the territories they occupied. So this is their nature right now. They, they, they do not make a war with the Ukrainian army. They are making, they're waging a war with the Ukrainian nation, with the Ukrainian society, with all of us, with uh, all the civilians. One important thing is that uh, in peril for uh, in liberating Kherson, Ukrainians also liberated the whole Mykolaiv region. This is, was also a very important news. Uh, so uh, the whole Mykolaiv region, Mykolaiv Oblast, is our, uh, now under the Ukrainian control. And maybe last thing... Let's, maybe let, let, let's specify why this is important. This is not about territory, but for the city... Uh, itself for Mykolaiv, it was extremely important to get access to Dnipro in order to restore finally, eight months after the beginning of this full invasion, to restore the running water inside the city because uh, maybe our audience doesn't know, but Mykolaiv was suffering without this running water for months. A big city had no running water in, in inside houses, inside apartments. And now, finally, after demining this access to Dnipro, they will be able to do so. So you cannot imagine, actually, you, maybe you're listening to our podcast in uh, cities and towns with electricity, with heating, uninterrupted, uninterrupted water supply. We, you cannot imagine what joy we have, even sitting in Kiev, when after a blackout for four or six hours, we have finally the lights in our apartment. Or we go to the bathroom and suddenly we see that there is running water. And uh, we're just sending you this message to, for you to understand that our civilization is so fragile it is it is really fragile. It can be really destroyed very quickly. And uh, all the benefits of our civilizations, civilization are so fantastic that as soon as you just understand how to live without these benefits, you understand how fantastic the humanity was to build all that. So let's cherish what we have. Uh, let's let's enjoy what we have. Let's let's see these all these infrastructure things. As we, that we're taking for granted, the running water in our house, houses, the electricity as a miracle, as a miracle of humanity, which can be destroyed by such bad guys uh, as Russians, which are actually waging the war against civilization. Which we should also say this: while destructing the civilian infrastructure is the waging the war against the achievements of civilization, of industry, of everything else, and. Um, which is just, uh, I think we should we should cherish this and and remember this. Okay, what and else? We, and we and we are still. Uh, let's also maybe highlight that we are still waiting for revenge. Normally, usually, when Russia loses something, they are trying to revenge it in a short uh, short. Uh, time. This happened with uh, Crimea Bridge, for example. This happened many times before. So now they're accumulating boats in, 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 in Black Sea with Calibra missiles. It means that there could be new, uh, new uh, missiles arriving anywhere in Ukraine. It could be Kiev, it could be Western regions, it could be anywhere. And it will be a price Unfortunately, for Ukraine, for this liberation, that's, that's also this fear is also here, because uh, once again, when Russia, when Russian army um, lead, goes through this defeat, they are 
making war to civilians, what they still can do, they will revenge on civilian infrastructure and they will complicate lives for millions of Ukrainians once again. And let us highlight that there is uh, uh, this uh, um, missile strikes against civilian infrastructure which started on the 10th of October are still there and the damages are still there in, in a big part of Ukrainian cities and specifically in Kyiv and Kyiv region, what we are going through is that we still have these problems with electricity. You cannot repair that quickly. We still have these major problems with connection, with electricity. Each four hours it's disconnected and then it comes back. So it means that the half of the daytime and nighttime we don't have electricity in the capital of Ukraine. And even if Russian Russians continue, our problems could become even more important. And let's not forget that we are paying, the Ukrainians are paying the enormous price for the liberating territories like Kherson, but also the price of the Ukrainian soldiers who are defending in the eastern Ukraine around Bakhmut, because there the Russians have the advantage. Let's always remember this price. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Uh, my name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, who heads the international department at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Subscribe to us, follow us on various uh, networks, get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to uh, support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We devote the majority of your donations to help people affected by this war and to help Ukrainian defenders, the brave Ukrainian defenders in the Ukrainian army, patreon.com slash Ukraine world. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.